This is the Vorpal Network. VorpalNetwork.com This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Continue Magazine, a quarterly magazine for gamers of all types. And listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon store. This is Craig Campbell, author of Baba Yaga's Dancing Hut, and you are listening to The Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley. In this episode, number 203, we're going to pitch a great idea and get ourselves published. The submission window for Dungeon & Dragon magazine is open from October to November, uh, and it's coming up very quick, so we thought we would gather up three fantastic freelancers of various levels of experience from across the ages to talk about and how to pitch an article and how to be a successful freelancer. So what we want to do now is welcome our two guests to the show, Craig Campbell and Owen Casey Stevens. Uh, Craig, tell us a little bit about yourself and your freelancing experience. Um, well, I've been gaming D&D and so forth since about uh, 1991. Um, in college, I didn't, I didn't start quite as early as a lot of people. Um, and I started freelancing uh, in 2001 and kind of did a little, little something here and there over the course of like the early 2000s. And it was about five or five and a half years ago that I started to do uh, the occasional RPG, uh, RPGA uh, project, uh, some adventures, different things that kind of filtered to me through Chris Tulak, who I knew from way back when we both lived in Milwaukee. And uh, about three and a half years ago, I got laid off from my day job and suddenly had a ton of time on my hands and uh, put, put my word in uh, with a couple of people that I knew in the industry. And I started pitching ideas and getting a little assignments here and there. And I've been fairly regularly contributing to uh, the RPGA, to Wizards Online, uh, uh, the Dungeon and Dragon uh, online magazines, as well as some of the free content side on uh, the Wizards site uh, for like the last three and a half years. I've got uh, just shy of 30 articles to my credit. Awesome. And uh, Owen, what about you? What does your uh, freelancing experience look like? Uh, I started freelancing right around 1996, uh, which was just... I saw how much money I was spending on Dungeons & Dragons magazine and D&D books, and I thought if I could just publish a couple of articles, that would make enough money for this hobby to stop making me broke. Uh, my very first article that I pitched was actually a Dwarven name generator, and I got a really nice note back from Dave Gross, who was the editor of Dragon Magazine at the time, saying, hey, we just did the Dwarves art issue. We're not going to do Dwarves again for like 13 months, but I've got an elf issue coming up, so if you want to do an elf name generator... And I accidentally did one of the most important things you can do in freelancing. I took feedback. So I, I wrote up that article, and that started something. Um, I've got somewhat better than 2 million paid words in print at the moment. Uh, I freelanced for uh, White Wolf under the Sword and Sorcery imprint, uh, Steve Jackson Games, Wizards of the Coast extensively, TSR before Wizards of the Coast, and Paizo quite a bit. I was briefly actually employed on staff. It was just the coast in 2000, just their edition was coming out. I got caught in one of their rounds of layoffs, but that experience and contact let me be a full-time freelancer pretty much exclusively from 2000 through the present. So I've done a lot of Dragon and Dungeon and some other magazine articles. I've done some online things. Um, and I've done a fair amount of work writing for the hardback books freelance, both for Paizo, where I wrote, uh, for instance, recently I, I had a segment in Ultimate Equipment, uh, and I've written uh, 
a whole lot of PDFs for Super Genius Games, just sort of semi-freelance. Right. Well, because you're part of that company, and you also hire freelancers too, right? Yes, in that capacity, I do hire freelancers. So I've, I've got experience on both sides of that coin at this point. Awesome. Uh, and listeners may have noticed that earlier we said we had three f- freelancers on the episode, and that is because my co-host, Tracy, is a freelancer as well. Tracy, people know you pretty well, but why don't you describe your freelancing experience? Okay, well, it's not as long and storied as uh, our other two hosts, but I started a few years ago. My first product was The Lost City by Open Design, which was a 4 adventure with Logan Bonner as our lead designer. I've also written articles for Cobalt Quarterly, for Dragon Magazine, and I've done work for Paizo on the Ultimate Equipment Guide as well. And then some other stuff, but... And Margaret Weiss Productions. Uh-huh. shouldn't forget that one. We did Dragon Brigade. And, and your regular column on the Wizard site, right? Yes, I have a regular column, uh, Joining the Party, where I get to talk about all the great people in the community writing awesome content themselves. Sweet. Uh, so before we run off and delve into the experience and advice of these fine folks, uh, we should take a moment to thank our sponsor, Continue Magazine, a quarterly magazine about gaming culture, no matter what type of game you play. And you should check them out at ContinueMag.com and be sure to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. And maybe some of these guys will be pitching articles to them soon. For entire generations of people now, gaming is as much a part of the fabric of their reality as television, films, books, music, and any other form of entertainment medium. Continue is a magazine for the gaming community, the global gaming community. Not just video and computer games, but board games, card games, role-playing games, alternate reality games, and anything that falls into the category of humans engaging to have fun. A celebration of gaming. Everything we love about this mad entertainment sector. Continue Magazine at www.continuemag.com. And we're back. And it's time to dig into it. Uh, let's start off with um, with just getting started with the idea of pitching things and, and that kind of stuff. Is it smart to start with a smaller company, do you think, or go straight for you know Wizards or Paizo? Um, what do you guys think? If, if what you're wanting is to get into a freelance career, I think right now one of the smartest things you can do is keep an eye out for Paizo's RPG Superstar Contest. Um, because even though that is a contest, it's an opportunity to have your stuff critiqued by some excellent professionals in the industry. And a lot of people's freelancing careers have started without even winning. If you just get into the top eight or the top 16, you know your name's out there, you've proven that you can do something. So it's a great experience it's a great place to get feedback, and you can tap into a whole community of designers, which can be very useful. Yeah, I definitely agree with that one. And and not only that, you have to do, particularly if you go on in the rounds, you have to do multiple different types of writing, which is also important, I think, with the freelancing, with doing freelancing stuff, because you're kind of thrown to lots of, lots of different things. It might be magic items one day and monsters the next. And that's something that, uh, you know, if you start writing little articles here and there, you often end up with, you know, I wrote this article that's about this thing, this article about that's about that thing. And sometimes it takes a little bit of work to broaden out into those other areas, whether you're going to be dealing with monsters or spells or powers or equipment or whatever else. Um, the RPG, or RPG uh, superstar thing gives you the opportunity, should you progress through the levels um, and hone your craft to become a little more proficient with a whole bunch of little things. 
And then in the end, that serves you well toward writing something bigger that incorporates all of those little things. Very good. So, even, oh, go ahead. Even if you haven't had a chance to submit, um, a lot of those critiques are still on the Paizo website. It can be very useful, even if you've got some experience, to go through and look at what items other people have written, what responses they got, why people liked them, why they didn't like them. It's almost like a, a master class on writing various parts of the Pathfinder role-playing game. And a lot of the advice can apply to any role-playing game system. Yeah, and uh, Sean Reynolds did, uh, I believe, a series talking about magic items in particular. And I know I read that before I worked on Ultimate Equipment, uh, discussing what makes for a good magic item, what doesn't, uh, what you should look for, the types of twists they're looking for, and stuff like that. So it's also a really good resource. But uh, I might even suggest before going with the smaller company or, or the bigger option, uh, blogging isn't quite the same as writing this type of content, but if you can uh, get closer to it and post it on your own, that's also a good way to, it can be a good way to get people to notice you. So don't discount your own publishing too. And at the very it, least, also, at, as at, the, at the very least, you're giving yourself the, the experience of writing regularly. Right. Yeah. If you want to be a freelancer, you want to get in the habit of writing right now. And if you're posting stuff online, even if you just invite your friends to come over and look at it, if they tell you, hey, you are consistently misspelling the word level as elvil, <laughs> that's something that you can pick up, right? And the more that you see those things, you'll, you'll get in the habit of writing. You'll learn how to carve out time for writing. Um, you, you really want to have some feel for how fast you can write. Because when you start actually getting assignments, you want to. If they say, "Hey, can you do thirty thousand words on Zent Keep in two weeks?" You want to have some feel. Is that a realistic goal? Is that a horrific goal? By the way, folks, that's a horrific goal. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, which is not to say I haven't done it. Right? I've I've had the sleepless weekend fueled by by caffeine and jelly babies, where you. you crank out 50,000 words over three days. Mm -hmm. um, but I can't guarantee I'll do that anymore. When I was younger, it was easier. And it'll leave me wasted for a week afterwards. And I only know that because I've got a fair amount of experience writing. Um, so you, you really want to get a feel for how, how quickly do I get tired? How late can I stay up after I get home from the day job? You know, is there a word count that will make my fingertips numb from hitting the keyboard too hard? <laughs> right. And uh, on a related note to what Tracy had to say about blogging was that as far as getting writing, just, just getting out there and getting writing, there's blogging, there's online, you know, all sorts of online things. But also one of the things you can be looking at is there's a lot of organized play um, organizations out there that are looking for authors to help write adventures or parts of adventures. And oftentimes these are unpaid or very, very minimally paid, but they do get you exposure and they get you the opportunity to work with someone because there's going to be someone that you're reporting to that's going to critique your work, that's going to help you, help guide you into becoming a better writer and dealing with uh, the things that you, you know, the first problems that you will run into as, as a writer. Everybody has their, um, their problems, the, the things that they just don't do very well when they're writing. Um, and as you start out, you just, you discover what those are and, and somebody tells you, like I said, you're misspelling the word level. Um, whatever it may be, just it can be gram, gram, uh, grammatical punctuation stuff. It can be just how you lay out a story, how you kind of develop the middle, uh, beginning, middle, and end of things. Getting um, something into somebody's hands that has a little bit of expertise helps you gain the expertise, then, and then you can move from there. And on top of it, you make contacts that who knows, you know, my first 
big push into writing came out of knowing Chris Tulak and knowing him through Living Greyhawk way back in the day. And then all of a sudden, I was, you know, several years later, I was getting assignments for the RPGA through him. Yeah, context can be huge. I mean, when I was writing for Dragon and Dungeon, and for that matter, Polyhedron, uh, I dealt with Eric Mona a fair amount. Eric Mona, knowing that I can write D20 stuff, is no bad thing now, um, because, of course, he's the, the editor-in-chief of Paizo. Uh, the stint I spent working at Wizards of the Coast, I got to know Sean K. Reynolds, J.D. Weicker, uh, Corey Herndon, Stan, there are Chris Perkins, there are a ton of people who have some idea who I am now. Uh, one of the big secrets of being a successful freelancer is that you want to put your name in front of people who can give you work in a positive light as often as possible. Um, that can be as simple as if you happen to be at a convention and you see someone stuck at a booth, you can always go up and say, hey, I'm Owen Stevens, you know, I wrote you that email a while back. You look like you're stuck here. Can I go get you a glass of water? Just something as simple as that can mm-hmm. can get someone to say, oh, yeah, I remember him. He brought me a glass of water. I know who he is. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and, that's one, oh, and I was going to say real quick, just one if if you can get um, if you can get a popular following with blogging, that's the other way that helps too. Is like if you get enough if you get enough of a following, uh, companies see that, and if if you can then translate that into writing uh, the source material that they need, then you have an audience to potentially also built in. You you have a, a value add there. Yeah, the same would be true if you were, for instance, a review writer. Uh, Ken Height is famous for having done some excellent reviews, and that certainly has not his helped hurt his freelance career. Yeah, and I, I think Chris Sims also was a big reviewer for a while. Yep. All right, good. So, um, well, despite your advice, um, <laughs> the, this episode is uh, inspired in part by the fact that the submission window for Dungeon & Dragon are opening up. Um, and so it might be worth talking a little bit about how to write a successful pitch. Yeah, and I, I didn't want to suggest that someone shouldn't submit to that. I, I actually think people should submit to everything they think they've got a good idea for. Um, just as soon as you start actually getting acceptances, you might stop and see how much work you're piling up. Mm-hmm. But a good pitch is crucial because you're, you're asking someone to say, yes, I want to give you money to see a fleshed out version of this idea you're describing. And then the very first thing they're going to consider is, do I have a good idea of what you wanted to write for me? And that's that's based on your pitch. Is your pitch well-written? Is your pitch interesting? Is it captivating? Uh, does it follow whatever format they've requested? Um, especially for something when you are looking at a submission window, you want to really consider, okay, I only have this time frame to turn something in, and if I don't do that, then I won't be able to pitch for six months, nine months, whatever they, they end up making the time frame. So I, I do think that those are important skills that you need to develop. Um, and most places, and I, I haven't used the official pitch system for Dragon and Dungeon in a long time, exactly because I know people on the inside, which I suppose is cheating, but most places tell you what they want to see in a pitch. They'll tell you how many pitches they want, what form they want, how long they want it to be, um, I personally always want to include uh, how long I expect it to be in words. You don't want to tell them how many pages it is. Cause that's sub- subject to layout and typeface and and artwork. But if you tell them how many words you think it'll be, how long it would take you to produce it, uh, why you think it's a, a good idea for an article, 
and then just some a, a fairly quick description of what you want the article to be. You don't need to tell them point by point everything you've got it in. If, if you're saying, I want to do a list of magic items, and I want a bunch of rings, all of which have some elemental effect, you might describe one or two of those rings in just a little bit of detail, like a sentence or two, but you don't have to tell them everything you're going to put in it, because if they're interested in the pitch, they'll come back and say, okay, so you said you've got an idea for 30 rings. What are the 30 rings you have ideas for? Right. You're probably not going to sell them on the specific ring. You're going to sell them on the idea of elemental rings. Right. right. And, they, and they're reading through a lot of these. So the, the shorter and the shortest you can make it while still getting across your point uh, is probably really good so they can, they can go through it. And you, you want it to pop right away. Like this is your elevator pitch. Um, you know, imagine you're stuck in an elevator with someone and you have 15 seconds to tell them about what it is you want to do. That's what, that's kind of what you need to do. I think a lot of times that's what's worked for me at least. <laughs> I'd say yeah, that's you, fair. Yeah. You want it to be concise and snappy um, and preferably short because people, you know, especially if we're talking about Dungeon and Dragon, <laughs> hundreds, if not thousands of people want to be published in Dungeon and Dragon. They're, they're, they're the D and D magazines. They've got long histories. There's a certain amount of, of prestige that comes from being published in those. And that means that everybody's submitting something. Um, so if you can imagine the worst possible pitch you can think of, they're reading through that pitch 50 times a day, trying to go through <laughs> this, this slush pile. Mm-hmm. So if you show them that you've got a three-page pitch for something that's going to be a six-page article, they have no reason to believe that you're going to be able to do a concise and interesting article at the end. But if you hit them with one or maybe two small paragraphs to tell them what you want to do, why you want to do it, um, if it's part of a specific line, indicate that you understand what the, the restrictions of that line are, right? If they've got certain kinds of articles they do, um, all of that information can be in there, short and snappy, and just a few really good ideas. I suspect anyone that's actually bothering to listen to the show is already far enough along not to hit some of the huge blunders. There are some classic things that people, honest to God, do that are just a bad idea. I have seen pitches where someone says, I want to write you a 5,000-word article. It's going to be brilliant, but I'm not going to tell you what it is until you agree to publish it because I don't want you to steal my idea. Um, <laughs> there, there probably are people in this world who could send me that paragraph and I'd send them a contract. Right. If, if John Wick or, or Ed Greenwood tells me that, then I'll go, great, 5,000 words from Ed Greenwood. I will publish that. I don't care what they are. <laughs> but if you're a, a starting freelancer, that's a guaranteed way to, to not only not get your article picked up, but probably to have it posted on a bulletin board as something to mock at the office in question. And that's and putting your name in front of. That's putting your name in front of people in a bad light, which you want to avoid as much as possible. And if you have a memorable name, they're never going to forget it. If you're John Smith or Joe Thompson, you're, you might be okay. But, I mean, people remember from you know, month to month, year to year, this is the guy that pitched, you know, 20 ideas that were just ridiculous. They were just, you know, weren't very well thought out. They were a page and a half long for a 2,000-word article. And, and I mean, that's going to bite you in the butt. Um, now, on the on the realm of of length of the of pitches, you know, Owen, you said you haven't really pitched a lot to Dragon and Dungeon lately. Um, not, not through the official format, no. Right now, right, and I get assignment work occasionally, but I still pitch quite a bit. And uh, you know, 
all of the, you know, keep it short being said, keep it commensurate with what the project is going to be. If it's a 15,000 word adventure, which is the long, that, that's the high end of adventures that they publish in Dungeon. Right. Um, that's probably going to take three, four middling sized paragraphs to describe. Wizards does ask for what is the villain and what are his goals? What is, where's the adventure located? They have some questions on their, on their writer's guidelines for things like that. Something that's more like, you know, 8,000 words, you can get away with a couple paragraphs. If you're writing a 2,000-word article and you can't describe it in three sentences, you're over-describing it. More than likely. I'd agree entirely, and and Craig touches on something crucially important. No matter what we've said, they've got writer's guidelines. Mm -hmm. Go read them. Don't just read them once and think you know them. If you're going to pitch something, see if they have an updated version. Hack around on their website so you find it download it and read the current one because these things change from time to time. Um, For the record, (laughs) we were discussing this just earlier. If you go looking around the Wizards website, at the top of the current writer's guidelines, it is dated for 2009. That is actually the current guidelines. They just didn't update the update date. (laughs) Um, It does say down on point three, it talks about the submission windows. That is the current set of guidelines. Right. Um, And one thing I've I've heard people say, and uh, is that they'll because they've been doing those editorials now saying this is the type of content we're looking for mm-hmm. uh, and this is what we're not looking for and I've heard people say like, well you know I have this idea about this and they'll be like well you know I just read their editorial it said they weren't really looking for that well they just haven't heard my idea yet possible <laughs> that was exactly something I thought about coming into this, this little uh, get together here was Imagine for the people who say, I have this idea, and I don't care if they're not looking for magic item articles, but I have this awesome, awesome idea for a magic item article. Imagine how much more awesome that magic item article idea will be during the window that they are looking for magic item (laughs) articles, and how much you will stand out from everybody else who's pitching magic items. If they say they're they're not looking for it, they're really not looking for it. Tracy's right. It, it is possible. If, if you actually have the holy grail of the next great idea, these are professionals, they'll recognize it. But I think you are, if you're playing the odds, the odds that you'll stand out by actually doing exactly what they ask and not doing what they ask you not to are much better than the odds that you'll stand out because you have an idea so brilliant that they will ignore everything they said in order to pick it up. It does happen, but wow, is it uncommon. I mean, it's never happened to me, for example. I've, I've got a lot of experience pitching articles and writing, and I've, I've been a full-time freelancer. This is how I've made my mortgage payments and, and put food on the table for almost 15 years. And I have never pitched an idea that was specifically something people said they didn't want and had it picked up. The closest I've ever come is hanging out with people talking about ideas I had that didn't seem like they'd fit and have someone else come along and say, hey, I know they're not looking for that, but I think that sounds awesome. Pitch to us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, one thing and that, to keep in... Go ahead. Uh, oh, sorry, I was just saying, I was like, I'm not saying this to say never pitch it, but it's just, it can kind of come off a little weird, I think, sometimes. Uh, the, that, that sort of statement of like, well, but I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit like when my six-year-old tells me he's going to be a professional basketball player. Well, maybe he will. But there's a, the odds are he won't. Yeah, because some and, and at his current height, cert- you don't know. Yeah. Right. Certainly, there are six year olds who say, "I'm going to be a professional basketball player," who make it because there are professional basketball players. But the odds are he's still going to need a good education. Right. 
odds are it's better for him to try and be well-rounded and follow the rules of society. It's the same basic idea. And also keep in mind that, relatively speaking, the, the tabletop publishing industry is small, right? If, if you get a reputation with one person or one company for being difficult or troublesome or not following the rules, don't think that you can just turn around to another company and chances are they have no idea what's going on over there, right? I mean, it, especially if you're talking about, like, Paizo and Wizards of the Coast. These people play in each other's games. When you're talking about anything, a lot of us respect each other. We go to conventions. We hang out at bars. We have drinks. We, we game together when we can. There are industry forums where professionals get together and talk about questions. Uh, and some of that is just because occasionally we get burned, right? There was, uh, without naming names, there was a guy who's going around offering to do art for people. And it turned out that all of his art was just taking other people's art, making very minor Photoshop changes, and trying to sell it as new art. Uh, and he got away with it for a little while, but as soon as someone realized that's what he was doing, that word went out on the industry forum, and, and a lot of other people were working with him at that moment, and they, they had to push, push back projects and, and order new art. And But e even if it's just something like, you know, this guy specifically told me that even though we said we were 15,000 words was our biggest adventure, he's got this 50,000 word adventure and he pitches it to me every two weeks during our, our open period. Mm -hmm. Word of that will get around. You, mm -hmm. you can get a reputation pretty fast. Yeah. So do you recommend um, pitching smaller things at first or do you just pitch any, any idea that you think is a good idea? Even if it's, you know, the, the big feature, you know, 20,000 word article. I'd say smaller, idea, smaller articles can be more manageable for somebody who's starting out, certainly. Um, yeah, allow it, you, if you get it accepted, it'll allow you to get the opportunity to, to take on a small article. They'll probably give you a pretty good deadline, you know, time timeline to work in, so you can get a good gauge on how long it's going to take you to write something. And you'll get faster as you go along, but when you first start writing things, you're going to be slow. And if you've written a bunch of stuff for yourself, like if you're a, a small PDF publisher and you already have... 30 things you've published on your own and you're trying to work for someone else. You've got a real good feel already of how long it takes you to write something and how well you do in a, a particular format, pitch anything you've got a good idea for. Um, but if you really don't have a lot of completed things, and I mean totally finished, you've handed them out to your friends, they've read them, you've, you've edited them, you'd be happy for them to be published as is. If you don't have a few of those, yeah, I think it's smarter to start with some smaller things. Just because it's it, it, if you're horrifically wrong about how long it's going to take you to write something, uh, it's much better to discover that it's hard to crank through two thousand words than it is to discover it's hard to crank through ten thousand words. Yeah, yeah, and and, that, and oh, sorry, ahead. I was just going to say they're not they're not necessarily going to give you a lot of direction or tell you how to do your job. They kind of assume that you know how to write already. So if it's a longer thing, they're not. You have to also know how you organize your own work and everything else. Right, and the longer it is, the more you're going to deal with outlining things up front, the more you're going to deal with planning for things. Um, you're just kind of getting it square in your head. It's just, you know, an article that's shorter, you don't have to do as much of that stuff, so you can get kind of get into the writing more quickly. And on top of it, there are different types of writing within a given type of article or group of articles. You're going to write something that's a story piece that's going to be more or less prose from beginning to end. You're probably going to write that faster than you're going to write crunch the first time around. If you got a monster article, for be prepared to spend some time. When if, if if it's you know ten monster stat blocks or you know ten magic items, be prepared to spend some time looking through the crunch and making sure all the numbers work. 
It, it, it's true that the, the, the crunch is difficult for a lot of people. Again, this is one of those places where there are exceptions for everyone. I can write the stats for 10 monsters faster than I can write the descriptions. Um, crunch, crunch comes easy to me. Um, okay, well, put it this way then. Everybody out there who's looking to, to write something, know your limitations. Know what you're fast at and what you're slow at. Or you know, you'll discover it the first time you write something. And that's fine too. You can always discover it then. Yeah, absolutely. But but Craig's right. Different people have different strengths and weaknesses. Um, I know a lot of people who can come up with a brilliant idea for a monster and write just an awesome description of what it looks like, how it acts, uh, what its motivations are, why you would want to use it in an adventure. And then when it comes to actually writing up the game stats, they're hopeless. By the same token, I know people that can write up a fascinating set of mechanics and they can use it in their own campaign. You think, well, that's really neat the way that worked. And then if they tried to describe what that thing looks like to someone else, they're just clueless. So be, be aware that it's not all exactly the same kind of writing. And there may be not only stuff that you're better at or worse at, there may be stuff that you enjoy more or less than other things. Yeah. And also uh, keep in time for research. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Particularly if it wasn't done up front before the pitch, like you're not entirely sure every every bit going into the pitch, like you I know for Melora, I had to, when I did Channel the Divinity Melora, I had to go through the Divine Powers book, like a bunch of different books, a bunch of different articles, see who she, like what the lore was, make sure I referenced it, cited it for the, for them to cross check it and all that other stuff too. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. If, if you're saying I am doing a Greyhawk adventure or I'm doing a Forgotten Realms set of spells or, or any of that, right? If you're saying I am setting it in this setting, you both have to have some feel for what that setting is like to begin with, and you have to be prepared to double-check your assumptions. Um, I know, especially early on, a lot of freelancers get surprised how many things that they thought are, are obvious and clearly defined are their group's interpretation of things, or that's the way it was two editions ago, and they just prefer it that way, or errata says it doesn't work that way, and they never looked up the errata. Uh, all those things can come back and bite you. Right. Yeah, just because you remember it doesn't mean you remember it correctly. Look it up. Same thing goes for mechanics. You know, if you think you know how drowning works in the uh, the edition you're working on, and you're writing an adventure that involves possibility of drowning, look it up. You might be you might be wrong. Uh, I know I'm usually wrong. Especially if you're hopping around game systems. There was a period where I was actively writing for Star Wars Saga Edition, Star Wars Fourth Edition, and Pathfinder and 3.5 OGL for uh, DungeonA.com all at the same time. And so you have a simple question like, if this villain stands from prone, he'll try and do it where he doesn't provoke an attack opportunity. Well, standing from prone doesn't provoke an attack opportunity in all those game systems. It does in some and not in others. So I really had to get in the habit of, of checking my assumptions for everything. So I may be working in Star Wars Saga in the morning, Switch to Pathfinder in the afternoon, be working on fourth edition by the evening, and I've hopped on three very similar but not identical rule sets. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Um, so I struggle with word counts. Um, I, you know, as, as an inexperienced person pitching articles every now and then, um, I look at my idea. I've got a solid, solid grasp of, of kind of what I want to write about, but it's I'm not real sure about word counts. Uh, how important is Getting that word count down, how do you estimate your word count, and what happens if you're wrong? <laughs> I've got a great story about that. Let's hear a story, um, Well, the word, just to, to address word count in general, is usually, um, and just looking at, again, my experience comes from primarily writing for Dragon and Dungeon Magazine in the recent years. 
um, most of the articles that you will see um, in Dragon are usually um, different types of articles and different, you know, the different uh, winning ra- uh, winning races and class acts and all these types of things or the, whatever they're all called now. There's a whole bunch of different categories. They're usually, you know, all about the same. They're kind of in the 2,000 to 4,000 word range. Um, and that equates to three to about seven pages, depending on how much artwork artwork and whatnot that there is in the magazine. Um, so not terribly difficult to estimate. Adventures and longer articles get a little dicier because you never really know. So my experience with word counts, once you get above about 4,000, is take your best guess at it. You could always look at things that have already been published and um, see if you can do an approximation by looking at um, things that have been published. Um, my, my general rule that I've found is that in Dragon and Dungeon, um, in the, the online articles, a given page, if it has no text, or if, sorry, if it has no maps, no illustrations, and minimal white space, is about 700 to, fi- 700 to 800 words of text on a page. And that gives me an idea. It's like, oh, this is an adventure. It's, you know, 12 encounters long, and oh, well, that, it works out to about 15,000 words. That's a lot. Um, that's a big adventure. So I know, you know, I can kind of plan for an adventure that might be that long. I can say it'll be 15,000 words because I'm expecting about you know, 10 to 12 encounters. Um, beyond that, it sometimes will change. Coming in short or coming in long, both have their problems. One of the rules, and Owen was talking about, t- talking about making sure to follow the rules. One of the rules is hitting your word count. Um, and, and as close as possible. If you go over by a little bit, usually they're pretty forgiving. If you come in under a little, little bit, you're probably okay. If you're off by more than like 10%, there's probably going to be questions and there's going to be rewrites and you're going to have to tweak some things. When I wrote the uh, Baba, Yaga, uh, Baba Yaga's Dancing Hut for November of last year, I spent three and a half months every waking hour outside of my day job working on that project. It was a reimagining of Roger E. Moore's um, Baba Yaga Dancing Hut adventure from very relatively early issue of Dragon. Um, I'm uh-huh. blanking on the number right off the top of my head, but it was originally um, slated as a fifteen thousand word adventure. As I started writing it, I realized there's no way it's going to stay under fifteen thousand, and then it's I realized there's no way it's going to stay under twenty thousand, and I had to go and talk to Chris Perkins and say. Hey, this thing is going to get really big. That original adventure is much longer than any of us, you know, recalled. You know, my finished turn-in ended up being thirty-one thousand words, and uh, that was okay with them because they really wanted to see that adventure published. And that's and probably not something that could happen with most adventures. And the other thing is, I, it sounds like you talk to them the along yes. the process well, as soon as you realize there's an issue. Every four thousand word up, you know, every time I was looking to bump it four thousand words, I was telling them, and I would get a. a Comment back saying, okay, we'll send you a new purchase order. I think I had four different purchase orders during the course of the – it kept bumping. So Jeff, Jeff asked what happens if you miss your, your word count. If you're within about 5%, some, some companies want you to, to go along if you have to, and some companies want you to come under if you have to. If you're within about 5%, you should tell them as soon as you know that it's going to be an issue, but they can probably massage that. Um, if it's an electronic product, there is a lot more room for leeway. If you're writing for a print product, there are only so many pages, and if the product does not have a number of pages that's divisible by 8 or divisible by 16, it's just not a realistic option for printing. And that can be in the case where you can say, hey, you 
you said you'd give us 12,000 words. This is 14,000 words. You must cut exactly 2,000 words. Um, I've had freelance projects where I was told, we need you to write 1,500 words of one inevitable, the name of which must begin with a K. And that's because it, it was it, it's going in a print product. They've laid the rest of it out, and they've got this gap, and it has to go right there. And for that project, I literally spent an extra hour tweaking it until it was not 1,501 words, not 1,495 words. It was 1,500 words. It wasn't inevitable. It had to be CR16 as it happens. And it started with the letter they needed it to. Um, but what Tracy said about talking to your, your developer or your editor, whoever you're working with, as soon as you see an, option, uh, an issue, is crucial. And it's true of everything. Uh, word counts is a big one. The other big one is deadline. Um, obviously, you don't ever want to miss a deadline. And if you can turn something in a little early, that's, that's almost always great and helpful. But the split second you conclude that there is even a chance of a problem, you should inform your editor or developer. Um, they may have time worked in so that they can go, hey, that's not a problem. We can give you an extra week. Um, or someone else may have already taken up all the spare time, and they need that article when they need it. They have to tell you, if you can't do this, we're going to have to get someone else to do it. So you need to tell us now, can you fix that problem or can you not? And the, the more time you give them to deal with those issues, the less likely they are to be upset with you later in life, and the more likely it is that they can work with you to make it work. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's true for building a long-term relationship, too, right? You don't want a reputation for turning things over late, but you also don't want a reputation for turning things over late without warning anyone. Uh, and then the other area I've heard some people uh, lately talking about that is with uh, anything, because we were talking about uh, setting stuff in lore, like in Greyhawk or whatever, if there's anything that touch that may, ch like if you have an idea that that may change lore or something, you may want to talk to your editor first, too. Yeah, like trying, trying to slip things in <laughs> mm -hmm. just because you think it's a really cool story, you may want to ask up front that way and cut down on the possibility of having to do uh, quick turnaround rewrites. Especially if it's central to what you're writing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. if it's, Another if, thing, if they say no and you suddenly have to rewrite 80% of it, you it's better knowing up front. Uh, another example of something you want to run by your editors, if you want to sneak in an Easter egg, right? If, if you want to mention that the this character who's long known that their mother is missing, if you want to mention that they now have evidence that they think their mother is this person over here and you're trying to just sneak it in, don't try and sneak it past your, your editor. Ask them, hey, I've got this idea. This is why I think it would cool if we put that in. Sometimes the answer is great. Go ahead. Or, or sometimes it's, you know, do it, but make sure it's vague. And sometimes the answer is no, do not do that. And if, if you succeed in sneaking it by and it's a problem, that's actually makes people a lot more unhappy. Right on. So and now, obviously, we talked about how oftentimes, for Dungeon & Dragon anyway, they put out an editorial at the beginning of the window saying kind of what they're looking for and what they're not looking for. Uh, but if with the, the breadth of experience that we have here, I'm curious, are, are there certain types of pitches that generally will, will get more attention or will be more positively received than others? Um, any sort of general trends you've seen in the industry uh, over the last few years? It's always a good idea to pitch something that does not look exactly like something you've already seen a few times. Um, 
if you think that a movie that just came out is cool, uh, so do a hundred other people. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't necessarily throw a pitch, but if you have a really interesting and unique new different idea, that is much more exciting than people who have to look through 500 ideas a day, and it makes for a more interesting end product, right? You want a variety of different kinds of things. So, you know, if you've seen that they've done a vampire article, that's probably the vampire article they've got scheduled for a quarter, unless it's a World of Darkness magazine. Um, if they have just recently done certain kinds of things, those are exactly the kinds of things you can be pretty sure they're not wanting to see more of. Now here I'm talking about topic, not not style, right? Mm -hmm. Just because they've done an adventure doesn't mean they're not going to want to do another adventure. But look at those adventures. Are, do you already have a race against time and a battle in an arena and a, a political debate? Is there already a running fight on a steam train? If you have seen those things in adventures, then try and think of some other format for your adventure. And that, that will help set you apart. I think you always have an edge up if you're doing a new take on things yeah. without trying to invalidate what's gone on before. Well, and Randall Walker had the the article recently where he did that. Um, it was more of, he, what was it, Men in Black or X-Files or a combination? He took that and, and made it into a fantasy setting with the Far Realm. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that's a good example. That's that's not something we've seen recently there. So it's it's a good idea. It it plays on things people are familiar with, but it's not yet another example of, of what has been written up by times. Okay, cool. So... I've taken all of your advice. I've read all the, the guidelines. I've taken in the editorials, and I know what they're looking for. I've pitched, and they've accepted something. Or at least they've taken me to the next level. What, what does happen next? Um, so that, that can really depend. Yeah. That's a wide um, variety of things. So one, one thing that happens fairly often is whoever you're talking to will say, we think this might be interesting, but you haven't given us enough. We need you to write up a 2,000 word sample, for example. And if it's just a 2,000 word article, they might say, we want you to write this on spec, which means on speculation. They're not promising to publish it. They're just promising to look at it if you get it written. And if they like it, they'll publish it. That's a definite possibility. Uh, they might have a different kind of feedback. They might say, hey, we think this is a good idea, but can you do any of the following tweaks? And that's the sort of thing where I said, I want to do a dwarven name generator. And they said, we've got dwarves. Can you do an elven name generator? Um, or they might be ready to go. I'll give you a contract and they say, this is your deadline. This is how much money we're willing to pay you. Here's your contract. Sign it, scan it, return it, and get writing. The tendency with wizards, with the, uh, dragon and dungeon stuff is um, usually, well, like like Owen said, there could be, you know, like, give us a little tweak. Let's, uh, let's see a little bit of an expanded pitch. We want to kind of clarify a few things. For a shorter article, uh, once they give you the, the, the thumbs up, they'll probably release you to write pretty quickly, and you'll have a deadline that'll be you know three weeks, a month, something like that. That's been my experience anyway. Anything longer, anything 5,000 words or longer with Wizards will almost certainly require an outline, and that's other time that you need to spend up front before you actually start to really write is that you need to kind of lay out, especially with adventures, what's this thing all going to be about? What kind of uh, elements are you going to incorporate? get uh, the bad guy kind of squared away, get uh, you know other important people, important locations squared away, get the thumbs up before you start writing a bunch of stuff, especially if things are very heavily interconnected with one another. Um, because if you don't get the, the, the thumbs up from your producer or whoever, um, then suddenly you find yourself submitting something that they're going to put back uh, in your email and say, we need you to 
completely rewrite this or rewrite big sections of it. Uh, you may also find that they've got milestones in mind that they say, uh, you know, you've got a, a 8,000 word article. We want to see 2,000 words of it in one week, 4,000 words of it in two weeks, and all the rest of it in three weeks. And that is another way for them to, A, make sure that you're on track for succeeding, and B, give you some feedback. If they're seeing some sort of persistent problem and you, you, know, you turn over 2,000 words a weekend, they can say, hey, we noticed that you're constantly making this reference. We want you to cut that out. Well, now you don't have to cut it out of 8,000 words of articles because they caught it early. Uh, and then, like Craig said, sometimes there are rewrites. Sometimes they'll say, we like this, but this tone is wrong. The whole thing is too dark and serious and you need to lighten it up. Or this is great, but half of the magic items you wrote up won't work because they've been hit by a train. And we need <laughs> you to write a whole new set. Or sometimes, and this is, is more likely to happen if you're working on a bigger project, like if you're one of 12 freelancers working on a hardback book. But it can still happen for articles. Sometimes they'll write and say, hey, we approved two, we thought, unrelated articles, and you have both written up a new class that is a specialist in using Dragonfire as powers. So we've got these two Dragonfire adept classes. We're not going to use both of them. The other guys got in first. We're going to use it. So you need a new element for this chunk of your class. Uh, back when Rodney Thompson and I wrote Dragon Magic for 3.5, um, it has in it the Dragonfire Adept, which was originally pretty much identical to the Dragon Shaman that had already showed up in the Player's Handbook 2 because the two design teams developed them independently. So pretty late in the game, they sent it back and they said, you've, you've got to make major changes to this so it's not exactly like this other class. Even though you people are in different states, you haven't talked to each other, you've invented exactly the same idea, uh, and we've already done the development on the one in the Player's Handbook 2, so yours needs to be rewritten. And, and that'll happen. You know, we're all drawing from the same conceptual well. We're all reading versions of the same books and watching the same television shows and movies. You will sometimes come up with an idea that's exactly what someone else has already done. And throwing back to uh, writing pitches in the first place, too, it's a little bit of a crapshoot for that exact same reason as well. You might pitch something that you think is awesome, and then next month there it is in so the they, magazine. They, and, they, and they, suddenly, thought it, they thought it was awesome, too. Yeah, somebody else thought it was awesome too, but they thought it was awesome eight months ago, and they already wrote it, or it's already or in the they, pipe, or or or, or somebody or they, just proposed it the day before you proposed yours, right? Or or five people proposed it, and one of them is an experienced freelancer that they know and trust, so they like the idea they're going to give it to him, and you'll have to prove yourself somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Now, Tracy, you've got a lot of experience writing less game mechanically oriented articles for some of these people. How does the process tend to work for you after you turn it over? Uh, usually, well, most of them they've they've accepted it. Uh, there was one article that I wrote that didn't get accepted in the end, where we had I had to do a lot of rewriting, because uh, I the tone wasn't quite right. The uh, the I was doing too much authorial voice in it, um, and that's something too that and we didn't we kind of touched on a little bit about each section. Different sections have different types of writing, and uh, doing story elements has a different style of writing. Uh, compared to things that are more mechanical, which tends to be more like technical writing. Um. Yeah, a lot of RPG writing is, is sort of technical creative writing, right? You, you you want it to be interesting and snappy and evocative, but you also want the, the game rules to be definite and specific and easy to interpret. Right. Um, and, and Tracy brings up an interesting point there, that different kinds of things have different tones. I, if you haven't already done so, and you should before you pitch, 
But if you haven't already done so, when it's time to write your article, make sure you go read some similar articles recently produced by the people that you're writing for. Because that will give you some idea of tone. What what kind of thing are they looking for? What kind of articles do they like to publish? What do these sound like? Right. And that was the problem I had was this was a new series and there weren't a lot of uh, there weren't a lot of ones that I could read about uh, to try to understand how these were different from uh, other articles they they had done. And then when I uh, worked a little bit on the the Dragon Brigade stuff uh, for that, we're, we're, you're talking about writing um, the game story, like t- talking about different parts of the game world uh, that some other authors had created for a novel, Margaret Weiss, and uh, I'm blanking on the other guy's name right now, and I feel terrible. Uh, I think Robert something. Um, so I had to go and ask them all these questions about, like, how do these things work in this world? Uh, and, and trying to make sure I get an understanding of, of are universities more like colleges today, or are they more like the old uh, model with Cambridge uh, and Oxford? sort of thing and, and, and stuff like that. So sometimes like, there's a lot of, of work there that I had to do that, that's not figured into the, the word count writing time and back and forth emails and everything else. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes it can see, seem counterintuitive, right? You're getting paid by the word usually. I mean, not always, but usually you're getting paid by the word and you're doing a whole lot of work that isn't represented in your word count. And frequently you're told, yeah, you overwrote this or we don't have as much space as we thought. We need you to do more work to have less <laughs> word count so we're not going to pay you as much. And it seems yeah. counterintuitive. But the fact of the matter is, if you prove you can do that, one of the things that will ev- over time happen is you'll get offered more per word because they figure they're not going to have to do as much work on their end to get it cleaned up and ready to go. Right. Um, so it's not just an opportunity that you'll have more chances to write but they will, within realms, I mean, no one really gets rich writing RPG material, but as as their budgets allow for it, they'll start to think, okay, we want to pay this guy a little more, uh, and we'll, it's the new guys who will have to suck up the difference in the budget. So Wait, it, and, it is worth it. And and one thing that I heard on the artist freelancing side, because I listened to the, uh, to the recording of the artist freelancers, one of the things sure. they were talking about was uh, talking about, like, they have tons of people who want to do art and they have tons of people who want to write. Uh, and the thing is, is like, why should they go for, for you over uh, somebody they've already had a relationship with and, and know what they're going to get out of it. And sometimes you, you kind of have to pay those dues and, and build that relationship up, even though <laughs> it seems kind of like I'm doing all this work for less, for fewer words now and less money, but that's building in the long run. Sorry. Good. I agree with everything. I've done plenty of rewriting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, when and it comes to, to RPG free, freelancing, frequently writing is free writing. Sure. So you've you've and you've kind of hit on this uh, throughout today's conversation. Uh, but generally speaking, let's say I've I've pitched a bunch of things. They've said yes to one or two. I uh, I'm writing those articles. Uh, now, what do I do? to turn that accepted pitch and that accepted article into future work. Develop a great relationship with whoever you're writing for. Do all the things that we talked about. Hit your word count. Hit, hit, uh, you know, hit, your, hit your deadline. Um, be communicative. If you think you're going to... If you're suddenly uh, pitching, you know, or if you're suddenly throwing something into your article that wasn't there in the initial outline of the pitch, 
you know, you might want to bounce it off them, especially if it's going to take up a big chunk of words. Make sure that they know what they're getting. Don't over bother them. Don't, you know, they, they've got jobs, they've got work to do. But make sure, you know, foster a relationship. Yeah. Um, almost all of what I've done um, from day one, from knowing Chris Tulock and Jason Bowman years and years ago, has been somebody giving my name to somebody else because I yeah. developed a good relationship with somebody. That, that is a huge part of it. Um, if if someone contacts me and says, hey, can you write 20,000 words on this subject during this time, and I can't, I'll frequently say, hey, I can't, but I've got some names of people who probably could if you still need a freelancer, right? Because I can't use that work, but that's an opportunity for me to pass that on to someone else within the relationship with who, who I know. Um, and by the same token, a fair amount of the work I've gotten, I've gotten because someone who's even better known and more famous than I am does not have time. And they'll say, I can't do it, but have you seen if Owen's free? Um, so it's not just a relationship with the guy that can give you the work. It's the whole community. And there are a lot of community tools now. So there's Facebook and there's Twitter. And these are chances where you can interact with these people. Um, and so not to put too fine a point on it, but don't be an unpleasant person when you're interacting with them. Don't make them regret getting an email from you. Yeah. Uh, and then something we haven't really talked about here, but you, you were kind of uh, mentioning uh, is forming your own groups too and working with each other, uh, look, doing self ed like editing each other's works, uh, ideas, running pitches past each other. Where Cabbages is a, is a well-known group like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're a bunch. Of, I don't know their whole story, but I I, I know about them because there's this big uh, bunch of people who are now well known. A lot of them are well known writers, and that's what they did. They 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 formed this their own community to help each other out. Um, and then the, the most simple thing is do a good job. Uh, whatever you think you need to do to do a good job on your writing, write well. You can do everything else we said, and if you just can't produce a well-written article, you're probably not going to get more work. Uh, I personally am a big fan of playtesting game material. Um, the, the company may or may not have time to playtest, but they never have enough time. So I, I run two to four games every month that are just opportunities for me to playtest material. Um, I have contacts with other groups who I don't play with, who I will send them something and say, hey, playtest this. They're thrilled because they have this opportunity to look at this material before it comes up in a published format. And, of course, they have to keep it confidential. And if you want to get real formal, you can do non-disclosure agreements. I do, but if you're just talking about eight friends you know. But the advantage is that you can give them something, have them use it when you're not sitting there explaining it. And they can come back and they can say, hey, we got to the point where you're supposed to kill the clockwork king by literally throwing the monkey wrench at him. And they'd all thought the monkey wrench was a joke, so no one picked it up, so they couldn't defeat him, so he killed everybody. <laughs> and you can go, well, it's incredibly obvious. You pick up the monkey wrench, right? It's called a monkey wrench, but you don't know how people are going to react to these things. And play tests, you know, as soon as that thing's published in Dungeon or Dragon, it goes from having been seen by a couple dozen people to several thousand people. And if there is some big, glaring, stupid error that that dozen people missed, Someone in the thousands will find it, and, and they may find it within a few hours of it being available. Yeah. The more people you can have take a look at these things and give you their feedback, the better. And if you can develop groups who you know, who you can trust, who you're familiar with their game style, and they, they're good gamers, they play well with the rules, that can give you an edge up on making sure your finished product is usable. 
So yeah. is is that something like if I, if I'm writing for wizards, is that something I should just do, or should I check with them and make sure it's okay to have other groups play test? Again, you want to be communicative. I would send them a note, but I don't. As long as you can tell them that it's not going to be well known by several thousand people prior to them publishing it for pay, I've never heard of them having a problem with a, a writer getting his own stuff play tested. I specifically asked that question on a few different things that I wrote over the last couple of years, and never once did I have somebody say, well, you should have them sign an NDA, yada, yada, yada. No, I just got some friends together, handed off the manuscript to the guy who was going to GM. You know, don't GM it yourself because you fill in the gaps. Mm-hmm. Give right. it to somebody else to GM um, and have them run it. And if, if, all, if at all possible, sit quietly in the corner with your laptop and take notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing you're talking about, people finding those things in your work, because it will happen. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, if you can read what those people write without responding and, or at least responding in a negative way, it can help a lot. Um, one thing I did after the Melora article was somebody just totally blasted me about something and I, I didn't really understand. Like I didn't understand his point cause I'm not a, uh, optimizer. Uh, this guy was very much into character optimization. So I just, I sent him a message, uh, and I was just like, hey, you know, I, I noticed you wrote this. Uh, you, you didn't like it. Could you tell me what stuff you do like? So maybe in the future I can use, like, I can look at that stuff and, and keep it in mind. Um, you have to be really careful with that. Like, cause you, cause, <laughs> but if you can do that, I think it can be a useful exercise uh, to, to, to at least read what people are writing uh, and then maybe respond, maybe, if you're very careful. Yeah, yeah it, on, the, on the subject of feedback, you need a thick skin. Yeah, you got you need an incredibly thick skin. Um, you know, ninety nine percent of what you're going to see online, someone wrote without thinking about the fact that a human being poured their blood, soul, and tears into creating that. Um, and some of them would care if they thought about it, and others weren't. It's not personal. You know, it's not personal because these people don't know you as a person. It can't be personal. Even if they think it's personal, even if they notice that you've written three articles and they hate all of them, what they're hating is a process that includes your editor and your developer and the pitch process and what else happened to them that day and they really wanted some other article that you were never going to write anyway. None of it is personal and it feels really, really personal. It is incredibly useful, if you can, to read the feedback and think to yourself, do they have a point? Did I did I make a mistake? Could I have defined this better? Um, if you are good enough at keeping your temper and temper and being politic that you can write back to them, that's great. And it doesn't surprise me at all that that Tracy can do that. Uh, I can do it in a professional capacity when someone's come talking about super genius stuff. Right, I'm the lead developer in super genius games. Whatever it is. That was my responsibility, and and I can address that even if what I say is, I'm sorry that didn't work for you. Uh, we play tested it. We're still happy with the balance. Um, a lot of these things are are specific to a game group, but I'm sorry this didn't match your needs. Uh, but sometimes people call us on something that we did wrong, and the only way you're going to be able to get better is to try and incorporate what feedback you can. But don't go off on someone publicly because not only does that not help you at all. But all the people you're wanting to hire you are going to see that as how you interact with criticism. 
And they're going to, well, what if, what if I tell him I agree with the poster and I think it was a bad idea and he's going to yell and rant and in, invoke National Socialism and Germany in World War II, right? You just, you don't want to go there. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I was very, and it's just, it's partly because I'm new and, you know, I, that's not a part of the community that I'm as in touch with. Uh, I was asked to write this thing and everyone knew that that's not what I do. Uh, but, you know, I figured if there was something I could learn, then this guy seemed to be the, the type of person who might answer my question without being a jerk and engaging Tracy Smash. You know, <laughs> I was like, hey, you know, hey, what, like, what types of powers do you like? You know, maybe I can learn something from you. I can't promise that I will definitely do this if I ever get to write again, but... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, but I I would be very cautious about it. I, and I was incredibly cautious at the time. I waited like at least 48 hours. <laughs> <laughs> to it, to simmer not, down. It's not a bad idea to write your response. Don't send it. Save it. Come back a day or two later. Read it and and see what it sounds like if you read it as if you were the comic book guy from The Simpsons, right? Because <laughs> there's there's no tone on an email. So yeah. they may read into it a tone you never meant that suddenly makes everything sound terrible. Um, also, be aware that people have biases, and, and this is something Tracy's going to know. There are a lot of people going to react to Tracy's stuff differently because Tracy's a woman. And there are people still, unfortunately, who think women don't have a place in the game world, and there are people that think that that any woman who has any objection to any sorceress's outfit ever uh, is a feminazi or, or has an agenda. There are people that don't like third edition. So when I was writing fourth edition articles, I was having sometimes people come after me and say, you're intentionally trying to ruin this game because you want to go back to the old game. And that's entirely not true, and it's ridiculous, but if I smell a bias on someone, there is very little point in engaging with them. They have made their decision. If they think that my goal is to write an article so terrible that it'll ruin the game, and yet so brilliant that Wizards of the Coast will publish it anyway, Drive a, drive a train right through it. And drive a train right through it. There's <laughs> nothing I can say to that person that will be helpful. Right. I'm so happy that I've been able to uh, help with the metaphors here. <laughs> yes, yes, everybody, I live close to train tracks. <laughs> and they've been pretty nuts here tonight. I apologize. Well, at least at least your train tracks are something you can control. I have the phone next to the computer. So <laughs> it's entirely my fault. All right. Uh, so last question is, is simply, is, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to say to uh, to people who might be getting ready to pitch to um, whatever gaming products are out there? Um, my fun. suggestion to – yeah, uh, number one, that's a good one. Have fun. Um, my suggestion would be, uh, especially when you have a window for, for Dragon and Dungeon Magazine – um, and you can only pitch so much stuff, and then it's closed, and you have to sit on your hands for a while. Um, is pitch a bunch, but within reason, and because you don't want to be the guy who pitches, you know, forty pitches, and they're all, you know, ninety percent of them are kind of similar and not well thought out. You know, there's a you made the comment Owen about you know if you're going to respond, type your response and come back to it. Same thing goes for proposals. Write up your proposal. Sit on it for a day or two. Come back to it a couple days later. Does it still sound as cool as you thought it was right when you looked at it when you first wrote it down? Because if you just whip it up and you and you fire it off without really thinking about it, it may not have been really well written. It may not have been that great of an idea. 
um, and develop the idea. You know, a, a, a half-developed idea will kind of show in a proposal. Make sure that you've given it some thought. You're just not trying to put out mass quantities of proposals. Ten really well thought out, really interesting proposals are a heck of a lot better than 30 half-baked ones. Yeah, you don't want to make one pitch because you might you might make the one pitch that no matter how good it is, they can't take. Um, I I would I'd be comfortable saying three to five early on, but whatever you're comfortable with, like Craig said, within reason, right? Um, as far as advice goes, my and I don't want to be a huge downer, and I'm one of those rare exceptions, but don't expect to do this full time as your main income. It's no. just really hard. Um, the, the reason that, that I've got 2 million paid words in print and I've been doing this for 15 years, but I got a few cents per word on those, right? I'm still being paid roughly the same rates as pulp writers of fiction in the 1930s. It, it's, it's as low and for professional work, you'll get offers as low as half a set of word, which I don't take anymore, but it's still out there. Uh, I think real something you can consider a, a serious main product type thing will be about three cents a word. It, it tends to cap around seven or eight cents a word. And the most I've been offered was 10 cents a word. And that was for ghost writing, uh, what was supposed to be a game article by a major fantasy novelist, which was actually me working off his notes. So you'll get paid different amounts for different stuff, but you've got to produce a lot of words. If you want to be able to pay the rent and, and the car insurance, it's, it's kind of insane how much you have to produce to do that. If you happen to work up to that, which is basically what happened to me, that's awesome, if you're happy with it. But if you're game writing, part of it has got to be because you're going to enjoy writing it and seeing it in print and adding to this game. I just love the idea that I'm, I'm giving back ideas so that people I've never met will have an opportunity to have more fun and do something cool they couldn't have done if I hadn't been there. And that is one of the things that keeps me in it. And I was writing game material long before anyone was paying me for it. And if for some reason I was put in witness protection and I could never write for another game company again, I'd still be writing game material that no one would ever see. I just, I can't help it. This, this hobby is a really important part of my life. And so I just love every aspect of it. But make sure that it's worth it to you. After you've had your first article or two, take a seat back and, and try and figure out if you're burning out or not. Because you can go from having a great time to hating what you're doing really fast if, if you happen to be someone who will burn out on it. So uh, we'd like to say thank you to our sponsor, Continue Magazine, and to our two guests. Craig, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me online at Wizards uh, Forum and at EN World, both by the name Shiv, S-H-I-V. Um, I am not in the Twitters yet, but maybe someday when I have more to promote. <laughs> Thanks. And Owen? Uh, I'm on the Paizo Forums a lot, uh, as Owen Casey Stevens or O. Stevens. Uh, I'm occasionally on Ian World or or the Wizards forums as O. Stevens. I am on Facebook, uh, ONKCStevens.com. Uh, you can also get me through Super Genius Games, which has their own website, SuperGeniusGames.com. And, and honestly, if anyone has a pitch that they want for Super Genius Games, I'll leap in for a second, Phil Avoid. You, you can send me a pitch. Try and be familiar with your stuff. Yeah, anyone. <laughs> anyone can send me a pitch. I don't promise that we'll do it, but I'll take a look at it. Um, we are... What sort of things does Super Genius Games do? We produce at least one PDF every week and have since 2009. 
Um, we do a lot of material for the Pathfinder role-playing game, and it tends to be short PDFs that are roughly the same length and tone as a magazine article. So we've done uh, new classes and new spells and, and short adventures uh, and feats and whole new variant subsystems. We just did the uh, uh, House Rule Handbook Spell Points, which is a spell point system for Pathfinder for people who don't prefer the, the preparation-style magic. So we do a lot of different stuff, and our schedule means that we are always looking for a good freelancer to, to help us fill that pretty massive list of things that we're producing. But we also do the occasional thing for Call of Cthulhu or 4th Edition or uh, Savage Worlds. But most of the things we produce is, in fact, for Pathfinder. And you can write me at ostevens, O-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S, at AOL.com as an initial contact. And uh, then we may boot you over to an email I check more often if we're actually talking about something. And Owen's a great guy, so. I definitely Plus, I'm a great it. guy, apparently. So. <laughs> this, is what, this is the rumor. This, mm-hmm. this is what, well, I, I trust Tracy's judgment. So if she says so, I have to assume it's the case, even though I don't see much evidence of it. I think so, too. And my wife's in the background yelling she thinks I'm a great guy. So. Okay. <laughs> well, and she's completely unbiased, so that's fair. <laughs> My wife is completely unbiased. If she and, didn't think I was a great guy, she'd be saying that too. And Owen's, and Owen's mom thinks he's a wonderful person as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, you know, my mom is, it actually has incredible geek credentials. My, my mother was our game master, even though she had no interest in role-playing, for about five years because none of us wanted to DM, and she discovered when I was like 11 when I was playing, that it was a great way to get a bunch of kids to shut up for several hours on Sunday and listen to everything she said. Um, she's She's been in uh, a zero-G fall in a commercial vomit comet. Uh, she got to see the Delta Clipper fly. She's been president of the Oklahoma Space Society. She put on an international space development conference. Um, I, I refer to her as the Empress of the Geeks fairly often. So, my, my Bragging geek- on your mom. My, my geek credentials predate my birth significantly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Excellent. Uh, if people want to go ahead and get a hold of us at the, the podcast, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com uh, or call the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And find all the show notes, or at least the ones I managed to scribble down um, while they were flying through their information quickly, uh, over at thetomeshow.com. And that is episode 203, where we have given everyone the tools to become an expert at freelancing. So every Tome Show listener will become a professional freelance game designer within the next year. All because of this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome. I'm a wall.